Hey everyone, welcome into the Apostolic Everyday Podcast. We're so delighted that you chose to join us today, and we pray that this podcast is always a blessing to you. We are a Bible podcast for everyday living. So let's jump into this episode and see how it can help us in our everyday life. Are you ready? Let's go. Everybody and welcome into the Apostolic Everyday Podcast. I'm so glad you chose to join us for this episode. And man, do we have a great episode for you today. On the podcast today, I have my friend, Reverend Carrie Miller, the Mississippi District Youth President. And we're so delighted that he is with us. Let's welcome him into the show today. Brother Miller, we're so delighted that you are with us today, and uh, we're excited about this episode with you. Man, I'm honored to be with you. Thank you so much for the invitation. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, today, uh, to get us started, why don't you just tell us a little bit uh, about who you are? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you, you've already stated, uh, my name is Carrie. I'm married to uh, my beautiful wife, Lauren. We have been married for 14, working on 15 years. Uh, we reside in the metropolis of Jumpertown, Mississippi. Uh, it's so big that you have no idea where it is. Uh, <laughs> but if you look on a map, you still won't see it. So, uh, we, uh, we are in Jumpertown. We have uh, one little boy. His name is Landon Dean Miller. Uh, I tell everybody that he is our three-nager. We just turned three in January. And uh, three-nager seems to be the most fitting term uh, for this season right now. So uh, just, just a little bit about us and, and the family there. Man, that's awesome. Um, I know what it's like to have uh, those three-nagers, and then I've got one that's eight turning on uh, 18. So uh, understand. <laughs> <laughs> I understand Absolutely. That. Yeah, man. Well, man, we're glad you're here today. Um, so we're going to – take a deep dive into the life of Carrie Miller. And so why don't we start with your childhood? Where were you born and raised? So I was born in the big city of Tupelo, technically born there because, you know, there's no other hospital in our small town area. Uh, but I was raised in Boonville, Mississippi. So I grew up um, in the First Pentecostal Church of Boonville. Uh, and that's where I spent all of my all of my childhood and formative years. I got you. So uh, tell us a little bit about your parents uh, and your upbringing a little bit. What was growing up uh, like for you? Yeah, so uh, so my family, my dad, my mom and dad, uh, we came into the church at Boonville. I was about seven years old. Um, my dad had had been backslidden for, for a few years. Um, started going to church at a, at a denominal church with uh, some of my other family and my dad just in the mix of all of that. And, and he, he just got into the, he actually started going to the denominal church with me, uh, pastor and all of the folks there were very kind to us, very loving. Uh, but there was one Sunday I'll never forget that my dad uh, met the pastor of this church at the back door. And he said, Hey, thank you so much for letting us come here. Uh, he said, but I think it's time for us to go home. Well, I had no idea what that meant as a seven-year-old witnessing that conversation, but it's one that I'll never forget. Uh, and the next Sunday, we walked into what would be our home uh, and what would give birth to my walk with God, me receiving the Holy Ghost, uh, stepping into ministry. Uh, so we went home, as my dad said. And uh, so I was seven years old. I was raised in the church. My mom and dad were actually uh, over the children's ministry at First Pentecostal Church in Boonville for several years. Uh, my dad has always uh, been very actively involved in the music department, plays the bass. And uh, so I, I had a I had a very great upbringing. Uh, my childhood was 
was one where both of my parents were in church and uh, they raised me in church. So that's uh, from seven until 30, what am I now? Three, almost 34. That's That's been the center point of, of my life. Man, that's that's so great. So um, you've come you come to uh, the church, uh, the the first Pentecost Church of Boonville at seven. Uh, so when did uh, when did you receive the Holy Ghost? So I was nine years old when I received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Um, and man, I I'll never forget it. Uh, we had the well, probably the same altars and pews that every church then had. It was that 1990s uh, church package uh, with the mauve carpet and the mauve pews and also the mauve altar benches. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, you know, that it was the church starter kit. Uh, so I'll never forget uh, being a nine-year-old boy kneeling down at the altar, uh, those old mob altars uh, at, at First Church in Boonville and, and the Lord filling me with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Uh, and that man, it was again. It was just one of those uh, one of those things that's indelibly left upon your life, and you can almost uh, smell the the mob altar bench. You can see it and feel the texture of the padding. Yes, sir. Uh, but that that's where it all began, man. At nine years old. Awesome. So so were you baptized at nine as well, or did that happen? I was before? actually baptized before. Uh, so I was. I was probably seven or eight, so it was it was right when we came into the church. Um, I, I felt the need to be uh, rebaptized, uh, and so I was baptized at probably seven or eight years old uh, at the at the first church there in Boonville, and then received the Holy Ghost about a year or so later. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, raised in the church, uh, especially First Pentecostal Church of Boonville, there's from seven uh, up and in, in, it's all you've known since then. Um, so going through what, what was teenage life and high school, uh, and even after that, what did, what did that look like for, uh, for you? So, you know, I mean, it was, it was high school. Uh, you know, it was, let's just, I'll be totally transparent. Okay. I'm not advocating for this. So if there are young people who listen, I am absolutely not advocating for this, but, I was the guy who showed up late every day without fail. Uh, my teacher drew on my face in English three with lipstick because I was asleep in the back of the class. Uh, <laughs> that was kind of life in high school for me. Uh, all the teachers were, you know, they really, they loved me. Um, I just, you know, I kind of did my thing. Uh, you know, it, it was a great time um, in the midst of, you know, when I wasn't late and I wasn't asleep. Um, I, I did, I did have, uh, some, some great, of course we had a very strong youth group. Um, and a lot of those went to my high school. Um, and then, you know, I was able to teach some Bible studies in high school and win a few folks. And, I um, mean, it was, that was pretty much it. Uh, I, I wasn't, I wasn't a big athlete. Uh, I played baseball until seventh grade. And then I kind of, uh, felt that nudge to let that go uh, for sake of uh, pursuing ministry. And so I forfeited uh, baseball and, and all of the, you know, athletics. Um, just, you know, I, I had no other desire than to than to be a part of the church and, and pursue ministry. Uh, that's kind of always been the forefront of, you know, who I, who I am. Uh, so that's that was really high school for me. Uh, it was, you know. I showed up a little late and slept a lot. And other than that, it was great. There you go. That's good. <laughs> uh, I guess, <laughs> you know, we all, well, you know, the thing about it is you probably, probably related to a lot of young people uh, with that uh, right there. So we've all been young. <laughs> uh, now look, I did maintain an A and B average so that I didn't get killed at home. There you go. Okay. So, you know, I'm not advocating to sleep in school, but if you do keep the grades up, Odds are you'll be all right. There you go. See, I mean, <laughs> you you did everything you were supposed to do. You you A's and B's and took naps. So, I mean, that sounds like a pretty good uh, high school uh, tenure there. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, after high school, what what did? Because um, uh, I do feel like we'll have some young people to listen to this, and and you have um, you're you're a tremendous uh, man of God, tremendous preacher. 
Um, and so, but you have had a lot of experience in youth ministry. So um, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on today because I've had people people from different backgrounds. I've had a pastor and then a, a entrepreneur, lay minister. Uh, and, but I wanted to bring you on because you have the experience of not only being a minister uh, coming up, being a young minister, but also um, you've done a lot of work with young people. Um, so when when you got out of high school, I know you said you, you left the sports at high school and you pursued ministry from about um, seventh grade onward. Um, when you got out of high school, did you graduate, go to college? Did you graduate, pursue ministry, pursue an occupation? How, what, what did you do from high school to co- to now? I mean, what, what did that look like from so, out, right out of high school? Yeah, yeah. So I, so I actually, I started, I began my, I guess, I don't know that you really call it a message, but my first attempt at a message was at 12. Uh, I, I was, you know, I was forever... Uh, grateful that I came up. Brother Brother Tedley was my pastor. Uh, and, you know, as far as development there, man, we were, we, we were blessed. Uh, we yes, had sir. a minister's class that was, man, the first six months, uh, we had an incredible lady in our church who was a teacher. And she took the curriculum uh, from our community college and taught public speaking, how to research, how to write, how to outline uh, so when I got to college, public speaking was a breeze because I had already had that in our young minister's class, their exact syllabus. Uh, so she taught that for six months. Brother Tedley taught us the life of a minister, ministerial integrity, ministerial ethics. And so that was all transpiring while I was in high school. Like I'm, I'm going to class. I'm sleeping through those because they're not near as interesting as the classes we're having uh, on Tuesday and Thursday nights regarding ministry. Uh, so that's happening. I graduate high school. Uh, I moved from that into Northeast Community College. Uh, I majored in uh, drafting and design, uh, which I have never used a day in my life. <laughs> well, no. you got the degree. Wonderful degree. <laughs> well, truth be told, truth be told, I am I am one class shy of drafting and design. Oh, wow. uh, I, I missed that with college trigonometry. Um it was, you know, for some reason, I took a class that college trig was a prerequisite to um, and passed, but I didn't take college trig. So how my advisor put me in the class, I have no idea. I had that one still up in the air today. Wow. <laughs> well, the good the good thing so, is you've got everything that you need uh, need to do it except for one class. And so should you ever right. need that? <laughs> I guess you could go back and take the class, but I think you're, I think you're well on your way to uh, uh, doing what God's called you to do. So I, I don't know that that class will be very important. Uh, you so. know, at, at this point, I know enough to be dangerous, and so if we need, you know, if we need architectural plans drawn, I, I may have some insight, but I'm probably going to hire somebody. There you go. <laughs> there you go. I, I, I get it. I get it. So I know you said that you preached your first message at twelve. Um, and, or what we all as a young minister would call a message, uh, some would call sermonettes <laughs> or whatever, but, uh, we, we called a message. We were quite proud of those first messages like every other preacher Absolutely. that I know would be. So, uh, but I know you said you preached first message, well, but when did you feel your call to ministry? When did you feel, uh, that tug that you were, um, you were not just a young person, uh, in the youth group, you were not just a, another kid that would grow up and work an occupation, be a faithful saint, although there was nothing, there's nothing wrong with that, and, and, and we need those in the church. But when did you feel the separation that God was calling you to be uh, a minister? So, I, you know, another one of those moments that I'll, I'll never forget, I, I believe, and, and I don't remember all the details, we were in the revival services um, at, at First Church in Boonville. It was about, it had to be December. Um, and because we had this thing where every year, uh, Brother Tedley would have the young ministers preach on New Year's, right? That was the thing. New Year's Eve service, everybody got like 10, 15 minutes, and, and we cycled every young minister in the church preached that night. And that was kind of our uh, watch night service, right? Which I guess was good. It gave us a buffer yeah. just in case somebody 
took advantage of that 15 minutes. That's right. Uh, we were all going to be there till midnight anyway. Yes. Sir. So, uh, good, good planning on his part. Yeah. Uh, but that was, uh, I'll never forget it. It was a few weeks before that service, before that watch night. And we were in a, I mean, we were in just a powerful service and I felt the Lord impress that upon me, uh, a call to ministry uh, in the altar service. And so I immediately after the service was over, I went to Brother Tedley and I said, Hey, do you, do you have a minute? I'd, I'd like to talk to you. And he said, Oh yeah. Yeah. So he took me back to his office and, and I told him what I felt and he looked at me and he said, okay. He said, well, all, all the other young preachers are preaching in two weeks. Why don't you preach for them? Well, that's not exactly what I was looking for <laughs> because all these guys had known they were preaching for the year. Right. Like they knew it's coming. They've got months to prepare. I got weeks. And yeah. I'm like, this is insanity. What am I? I'm going to get up here and totally butcher this. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm doing. Man. And so I'll, I'll never forget it, man. I was at, I was at my grandmother's house and I've, I've told this story a time or two, and, and I may have told it in a few messages, uh, but I was at my grandmother's house as a 12 year old boy and my grandmother had an old maroon recliner and that she prayed at every night. And she was praying and she I would hear her in there praying over her children. Um, my dad was was back in church at that time, but there were some of the siblings that were still not in church. And I would I would hear her every night. She would do uh, every Saturday night. She would do um, uh, three things and she would do them in this order. She would review her Sunday school lesson because she taught adult Sunday school. And then she would watch Bill O'Reilly. And then she would pray, right? And so that was her thing. And I wrote my first message about David and Goliath, listening not to music in the background, but listening to the prayers of my grandmother. Wow. The same prayers that prayed my family into church were the same prayers I was listening to for the rest of our family while I was writing my first message. That's powerful. What a heritage, and, bro. Uh, it, it, it was something, man. I am I am a product. Uh, I'm a product of of a faithful grandmother who who prayed and believed God, uh, in spite of her children being wayward. And and I'm the product of a great dad who is is very meek and and very humble. Yes, sir. Uh, so uh, I guess I'll borrow Brother Tipton saying it, it's the turtle on the fence post. You yes, know? sir. He didn't get there by himself. He didn't get there by himself. Absolutely. Wow. So I guess that would be you were you were around the age of twelve if uh, when you felt that yes. nudge. Awesome. Yes, man, that's great. I, I was around twelve, and and man, I I'll be honest with you. From that point on, I can't think of a time in my life where I didn't know that I was going to be in the ministry. Like yeah. I, I don't remember a time where I questioned that. Uh, I just knew. Now was high school hard. Did, did life have challenges? Absolutely. But somewhere, man, it was just ingrained into me from that moment at the altar that that's what I was going to do. Well, you know, I think sometimes we, um, I think sometimes we like to magnify the pressures when we are uh, connected to ministry or we fill a call. But, you know, you probably would have faced the same pressures even if you were just going to be the, you know, a, a good mechanic or a engineer or grafting Absolutely. or whatever, you'd have faced those same pressures, um, because you were trying to live for God. And, um, Absolutely. I, you know, not, not saying and minimizing that we don't have deeper struggles and there's not more of an intense purposeful attack on ministry because that is trying to pull, uh, that ministry is, is projecting and promoting and pushing, uh, the the cause of Christ, but um, I think at the end of the day, uh, we all uh, are going to face those moments of of temptation, trial, and and pressure. Um, Absolutely. But man, yeah. that's yeah, preacher, a young person, it it, it comes. It comes to um, all of us. It comes to all of us, man. That's great. So uh, before we move forward, I I, I do kind of want to. Um, I, I want to kind of hit this uh, just a minute. So while you were in high school and in college, um, what what kind of things did you do? I'm not saying you were perfect, 
uh, because no one is, but what kind of things, habits, strategies, um, routines, uh, things that you did, what kept you, uh, what, what, what kept you from maybe falling away into sin like so many have um, by the pressures and the temptations of, of what's out there? How did you maintain a consistent relationship with God during, during those years? So, you know, I would credit that to, to three things. Um, number one, brother, brother and sister Tedley, uh, were very, very strategic, very intentional with me. Um, he told me from, and of course I was always at the Tedley's home. Uh, I was, man, I'm, I'm, you know, Reagan thinks I'm his brother. So if he listens right. to the podcast, nobody tell him that biologically I'm, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> but I was at their house more than I was at my house. Taylor and I were best friends growing up. Um, but when I accepted a call to preach, I'll never forget. Brother Tedley looked at me and he said, I want you to be at my house as much as you can. He said, because I want you to see the life of ministry, not just in the pulpit, but I want you to see it inside the home. Wow. And he opened his world to me and gave me such an insight that I am to this day forever indebted uh, because I never would have seen that elsewhere. Well, I'm going to uh, say the, the yeah. Tedleys are incredible people, number one. But that, that what you just said is so powerful. Uh, that is so amazing because uh, not a lot of young men get that. And and you can see the results of that, the fruit of that in your life today because you were exposed to that um, element of you saw ministry um, in a consistent way outside of the pulpit inside, and, and behind the pulpit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. It, it was, it was some of the most formative things that I ever experienced. And, and now to tell you that I, that I caught all of that in that moment, no. But when I think back on those years, I, I glean from those years still mm -hmm. from things that I saw and things that I witnessed and, you know, that, and it was only because they lived life with an open invitation uh, for me as a young man. Now, uh, the, the B, you know, subset B to the answer there uh, of that being the first thing that kept me in those years uh, was B, Sister Tedley would have killed me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> if so, y'all don't know Sister Shannon Tedley, uh, that will not make much sense to you. But those of you who do, you know exactly what he just said. You know what it means. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so that is the first thing. Uh, that kept me. The second thing uh, that kept me was was very similar. I had a youth pastor that was just so happened to be my next door neighbor. And bro, when I say impacted me, if I said his name, I, I don't know that the masses would know his name. I don't know that he ever preached a conference. But I know what he did for a young teenage boy struggling in high school when my world was a wreck and things were happening in my life that I didn't understand. And he would sit on the porch of an old red brick house and we would sit there at midnight and he would just talk and let me vent. And those moments probably kept me uh, in some in some very weary places. Wow. Uh, and I had friends that that did the same thing. Uh, I had other young ministers in the church that that we would lean on each other, but but I'll never forget those moments. And and my youth pastor growing up, his name was Brandon Lambert. And and he would sit on that porch and, and he would just, man, he just he would just talk. He would just talk. My world was was, you know, in chaos and my mind was wherever. And in those moments. Those conversations with him, those conversations with brother and sister Tedley, they grounded me. And so those open door, man, I'm, I'm telling you, and, and we'll probably dive into this in a minute, but those, that, that open door approach to ministry is what made me 
And so I had no, I, I mean, there's no other way that I knew as a youth pastor than, than what I had been shown by my pastor and my youth pastor. Yeah. Um, and, and we'll get into that later. But the third thing that kept me and uh, Sister Tedley would, would make fun of me probably for bringing this up. Uh, I used to go to the church on Saturdays and we had a, a, an upper room, believe it or not. Uh, and it was all glass. And in the summer, it would be like 68 trillion degrees uh, in this room. And, you know, I'm like, I'm not turning on the air. Bless the Lord. I'm going to save the church's money. <laughs> and so I wouldn't turn the air on. And I'd go up there and I'd pray and I'd preach to empty chairs. Yeah. And as as insane as that sounds, man, I would write messages and I would pray and I would preach to empty chairs. And, and, and it was, you know, because I knew one day, one day, you know, there's something more that God's going to call me to do. And if I can just sit here in his presence, if I can just study the word and if I'm preaching empty chairs, that's okay. I just wanted to be in his presence. I just wanted to be in the word. Yeah. It's only insane. It's only insane if you've uh, never done it. So. Um, I don't think you're insane. So whatever that means, whatever you take take that for what you will. But it's only insane if you if you've never done it. <laughs> yeah. I, hey, look, man. I never heard a negative word about any message I preached. Empty chairs. You can't preach bad Just messages saying. to people that aren't there. <laughs> That's exactly right. Those are the best messages I've ever preached, bro. Nobody told me any different. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> If if I had to say three things that kept me, that was it, man. I it was it was the kindness of my pastor, the long suffering of my youth pastor for midnight conversations when he could have been in the bed, uh, and 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 prayer. I listened to a uh, a Joel Urshan message uh, not long ago, and uh, he was talking about you know he said my mission is to take you back to that place where it started and grow in my mind. I could feel all 68 trillion degrees of, of that room, you know, in those prayers and that, those, those moments, you know, so that, that's, that's the answer, man. Those are the things that, that kept me. Yeah. Well, I think those um, two things can be summed up uh, or those three things can be summed up in two categories. Number one is open doors. And number two is um, relationship. Um, because you had open doors to your pastor's home, you had open door to your um, your youth pastor's home, and you had an open door to the throne room of God. And then out of each of those open doors was relationship. And you cannot Absolutely. ever, ever, ever minimize the power of open doors and relationship. Absolutely not. And I'll say this, in the tone of relationship, there were some very strategic um, young people and some that were not younger than me, they were older than me. They were older kids in our youth group, uh, that were really anchors for me as well. And so it, it is, man, it's exactly what you say. It's relationship. And you know, you, you, that that's where ministry happens. Ministry and discipleship happen at the speed of relationships. I think we forget that, man. I really do. I, I, I think that we, I think sometimes if we're not careful, we all get to this place, but we 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 feel like people they they come to the Lord and God fills them with His Spirit and they begin a journey and then we're just like okay well we throw them out for for them to learn um how to navigate through life yeah. their relationship with God without really discipling them. But at the end of the day, the Lord didn't call us to for us to tell them to have relationship, but to show them how to have relationship. That's discipleship, and and that's the truth, bro. If 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 we're not careful, we relegate discipleship to a to a class and a and a couple of week series. Um, and, and man, it you know Jesus takes three and a half years all day every day with twelve men, and they turn the world upside down because discipleship happens in the midst of relationship. Yep, 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 yep. Man, that's that's so true. That's so true. Man, that's great. And and. It's so amazing to know that um, that if you will invest into people's lives, they can become something great. But if there is no investment, so many people walk away because they feel alone. 
And it's all, and, and, and the, here's the thing, bro. We all have our own lives. That's true. But Jesus did tell us to lay down our will and to pick up his cross and follow him. And sometimes it's not easy. Um, but for the sake of people and their soul, we got to go out of our way uh, sometimes to make the, you know, I had a I had a um, man of God tell me, um, you are who you surround yourself with. And who you surround yourself with, yes. and what you surround yourself with, and so if we want to be better, we got to surround ourselves with people who make us better. But if we want others to be better, then we've got to surround them uh, with people that's going to make them better and help disciple them. And, and a lot of times, it's us. We just give of our time and of ourselves, and sometimes it's uh, of our monetary uh, possessions to help someone navigate through a life that otherwise was bound to hell and sin. Absolutely. Bro, I'll tell you this. Uh, Lauren and I, in, in years of youth ministry, uh, and anybody who's heard me talk about youth ministry has heard this, we we youth pastored with this philosophy, and, and it was advice that was given to us by her uncle, who was a youth pastor for years. Uh, but the advice was love every kid like they're your own and always keep your refrigerator open. And what I found, man, was if the kids in your youth group, the people you're ministering to are comfortable enough to sit on your couch and eat your food because the fridge is open, then they're also comfortable enough to tell you the struggles and what's really happening in their world. Well, you know, I know this is comical, but I'm going to say it anyway, but it has a true meaning. Sometimes the way to someone's heart is through their stomach. Absolutely. And if you really, if you really, if you really want to connect with, and I I know it's, we've made that a comic, but comic relief statement, we've laughed about that, but man, if you, if we really understood that really it's boils down to building relationships with young people, with, with people, with converts in our church, um, people don't care how much you know about God until you show them how much you care about them. Right. Absolutely. And uh, I think we miss that sometimes in our, and, and it's, sometimes it's innocent and sometimes it, some people are very intentional about ignoring people. But um, uh, I think if we would be more intentional about building relationships, here's the thing we've got to, I don't, I, and this is a tangent of mine and I'm not going to get off on it tonight, but we have got <laughs> to, uh, we've got to learn to treat everybody with respect. The poor the poorest of poor needs to be treated like the doctor and the doctor Absolutely. needs to be treated fair. Just, you know, everybody is equal in the eyes of God. And if you read Absolutely. Isaiah 40, it talks about that. He's going to make the crooked path straight. He's going to make the valleys raised. He's going to uh, bring down the mountains. It's going to be a level playing field. He's projecting, um, you know, that John would, Jesus would talk about John when John would say, prepare you the way of the Lord, make straight his paths in the desert and all these different things. He's foretelling or he's, he's, he's actually bringing to pass. It's a fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah 40, but it's all projecting to the Messiah, which is ultimately projecting the Calvary, which is ultimately in the end, we see it now looking back, pointing to Pentecost and then pointing to heaven. And so I always tell our church and I tell people, it's level playing field at Calvary. It's level playing Absolutely. field at Pentecost. And it's level playing field for at heaven. You have to, you, anybody can go. Anybody can make Absolutely. it. But we got to help each other along the way. And so, 100%. and you can see it in, in your life and, and, and in the lives of others, successful people have people that they have surrounded themselves with that has invested in their life and developed them to become who they are today. Absolutely. And, and here's the thing. It doesn't just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a witness of, it, it doesn't just happen once in your life. Right. I, yeah. I had an elder by the name of Jerry Swatley, uh, who in my latter years at this point in my life, I had been preaching for several years. I mean, obviously you start at 12, you, you know, it doesn't take long. It adds up. Yes, sir. Um, but I, I've been preaching probably, I was probably in my twenties, maybe early to mid twenties when I met brother Swatley. And uh, the first thing that he told me again, 
going back to relationship, going back to open doors. Um, the first time, the first interaction I remember with Brother Swatley, I was preaching revival at a church that he was helping at. Uh, and he looked at me after I got him preaching and he said, son, would you take some critique from an old man? And I said, absolutely. I, I would welcome it. And he said, you're a pretty good preacher. You're about 15 minutes too long. Yeah. And that was the first interaction I have. I'm like, yeah. Yes, sir. And so then I was coming back to preach that night. And so I cut 15 minutes off my message intentional. Like I was very mindful of that. Right. Uh, because I, I mean, this is an elder, like he's an esteemed elder. He's a tremendous preacher and teacher and former missionary and all the things. And, and so I, I intentionally did what he said. And when I got done that night, he came to me and he opened the door. And for, from, from that moment on every pretty well, every week until he passed away, uh, we would go to his house and we would drink coffee and we would eat pie. And we would talk Bible. Wow. And we would talk ministry. Wow. And, you know, again, just open doors. Um, it's it's the key, man. It's the key. Man, and... and At least it was for me. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's the key for everybody. If you're hungry, I know for myself, I... I never found, and, and, and I did have friends and I did, I mean, I had a great time growing up and my, my teenage years was a little different than yours, but, um, but nevertheless, when I was never one to really, um, hang out with people my age, it was mostly older, uh, people, elders, uh, because there was so much wisdom there. And, and and I knew too that I wanted, uh, or that God had called me to preach and so I try to surround myself with those people because I knew it was going to elevate it. And it was open doors, man, open doors and relationships. And those things teach you uh, relationship, uh, help better critique your relationship with God because you can watch, learn, observe, <clears throat> and even sometimes mimic some of the things that they do in order, not yeah. because you're trying to be like them, but because you want to you wanna reach and experience the God that they know. And um, it's almost like the Elijah Elisha scenario. Um, you know, it, it's it's passing down those things, those traits uh, to another generation. Yes. Yeah. So, wow. Well, man, let's go into. Um, you felt your call to preach at twelve. You developed through your um, your uh, high school years, your college years. When did uh, you and Sister Lauren, when did you guys take over uh, as youth pastors? So we began youth pastoring at 19 years old. So we um, we were married in December of 2009, December the 12th, just in case Lauren listens to this and thinks that I don't remember our anniversary. <laughs> uh, December the 12th of 2009, we were married. Uh, January of 2010, uh, we became youth pastors. So we came back from our, our honeymoon and Brother Lorman was pastoring the church at Boonville at that time. And he opened the door and said, hey, why don't you, we need help with the youth department. Why don't you guys step in and, and youth pastor? Wow. Um, kind of a side note, I did go back years later and apologize to Brother Lorman uh, for what was probably more of an attempt at youth pastoring than actually youth pastoring. <laughs> you you gave it your best though. Yeah, yeah, we gave it a shot. And uh, years later, I was like, "Hey, look, I need to tell you something. I'm sorry about that." So we youth pastored there for uh, a year and a half. My father-in-law took the church in Jumpertown. Uh, I youth pastored in Jumpertown for eight and a half years, and and the Lord was was good to us. We saw some tremendous growth. Uh, in our students and numerically. Um, and then most recently, Brother Robbins was kind enough. Uh, he extended the invitation and we youth pastored at Absolute Life in Tupelo uh, for four and a half years. And so we have just uh, transitioned out of hands-on youth ministry uh, as of this this January. Wow. Wow. So we had four, 14 years, man. 14 years of youth ministry. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, 
You, uh, we know that you've served in uh, youth ministry. Tell us some other uh, some other areas that that um, just kind of give us a little history there of your backgrounds. What are some other areas that you've served in in uh, ministry? So I played the drums uh, for our choir in Boonville. Uh, I've youth pastored. I've taught Sunday school. I've run the vacuum cleaner and scrubbed the toilets and mowed the church grass. That's um, ministry. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, man, I'm telling you, good good things happen on a lawnmower with a pair of earbuds. I'm just you saying. You are exactly right. <laughs> uh, and, and you, brother Cook, he he's Dustin Cook, man. He he loves to mow the yard like it's therapy for him. It is absolutely not therapy for me. I I hate it. Uh, unless I have earbuds and and there's something really good happening there. Yes, sir. Outside of that, I hate it. Yes, sir. But it needed to be done, so that's that's what ministry does. Uh, and so that's that's really the the capacities that that I've served. Awesome. Again, awesome. majority of my a majority of my ministerial life was was youth ministry. Man, that's uh, and great. Whatever else was needed. Yes, sir. Well. That's the thing. That's ministry. That's what um, um, being available. That's a bigger part of ministry than than anything. Uh, it's just being available in whatever Absolutely. capacity that you're needed to serve in. Um, so you currently serve as the Mississippi District Youth President. How long have you been serving in that capacity, and what what does that look like for you? And um, just kind of fill us in uh, on that that as well. And yeah, so I was elected as youth president in 2021. Uh, so I am working on year three uh, as youth president. And man, it, it's uh, it's been a tremendous honor, um, you know, that, that the brethren of our district would have that confidence in me. Uh, but it's been a tremendous honor as well to serve alongside uh, great men Brother Wade, our youth secretary, Brother Cooks, our promotions, and all of our section directors. Uh, man, that's that's key. Uh, a great team. So it's been a great three years because we have a great team. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You guys have been doing a, uh, a tremendous job as well with that. I think you've had, what, uh, two record-breaking offerings under your tenure? We have, yeah. So that's awesome. We, we've been very fortunate in the that's awesome, the, man. The wonderful pastors and work of section directors, and uh, man, the Lord has has blessed us. So yes, we've we've been blessed to see two record breaking offerings and some record breaking attendances at Motion Conference, and uh, it's again uh, that that I take credit there. That is the the labor of a tremendous team. Yes, sir. Exactly. Well, um, man, that's that's awesome. Uh, what what are some of the I guess let me ask it this way What are some lessons um, that you've that you've learned um, as being a youth uh, leader, youth pastor, uh, youth president? What are what are some lessons in youth you've learned? Uh, oh man, um, you know, youth ministry is not for the faint of heart. Um, that that's probably key. Uh, if you don't like pizza, youth ministry is absolutely not for you. Uh, for sure, <laughs> that would be that would be one of the keys. And if you enjoy sleep, uh, youth ministry also is not for you. Uh, th- those are two things that are going to happen. You're going to eat more pizza than you ever thought you would in your whole life. I personally have probably kept four Papa John's businesses open in my 14 years of youth ministry. I can believe that. So. I can believe that. <laughs> you know, we, we we kept a Domino's in Boonville open because we didn't have a Papa John's. Uh, so, but, you know, truthfully, some of the things that I've learned, and again, this is going to sound redundant. It's going to pull back to that open doors relationship thing because, man, I have I have no other, no other way to be. Um, but what I've learned is there's there are God moments that happen. And they sometimes are not going to look like what you think they should. They're not going to happen in your Wednesday night youth service. Yeah. They're not going to happen in that altar call where you had the perfect phrasing and you gave the perfect invitation and you masterfully crafted your words and and you think it should happen right there. And instead it happens 
you know, two weeks later when you think that the kid in the back of the room had no idea you were even talking while you thought you were preaching. Right. And you thought he was on a whole nother planet and didn't get anything. And then he, he or she shows up at your house and they're like, Hey, when you said this the other week and they break down on your couch and it turns into a prayer meeting. Right. So, you know, if there's one thing I've learned, uh, it's this, and this is a brother Swatley thing that, that he taught me. There's an intersection in every service and even not in services, but there's an intersection where I must decrease and he must increase. And if we can identify those intersections, those moments in services, those moments in conversation, those moments when young people are sitting on our couch or riding down the road in our car, and, and you're just having a heart to heart with a young man in your youth group, if you can be sensitive enough to the Holy Ghost to identify the intersection where I decrease and he increases, then what you're going to do is you're going to open an avenue where God begins to minister in moments that you didn't expect and in ways that you didn't foresee coming. Um, I'll never forget we had a young man in our youth group that I was in the middle of teaching a Sunday school lesson, right? There is no piano, there, there's no music, it's just a Sunday school lesson. It was not the time that I thought the Holy Ghost was going to move. And I watched this young man un, unprompted lift his hands in our Sunday school class and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Wow. Wow. I mean, it, it's, you know, by all stretch of the imagination, people, people receive the Holy Ghost in altar calls. People receive the Holy Ghost, you know, in those moments, in prayer meetings and all of that. But this young man received the Holy Ghost in the middle of a Sunday school class. And so if, if there's, you know, one thing that I learned in 14 years of youth ministry outside of loving every kid like they're my own and keeping the refrigerator open, it would be identify the intersections. Right. Yeah, identify the moments where God wants to increase and he just needs you to decrease. Right. And because that's where that's where those those ministerial that that's where those victories are found. Right. That's where you're going to win some battles that you couldn't win on your own. Right. And also being willing to work outside the box of your own thinking. Because if, if you think it one way, as you said just a little bit ago, if you think it one way, it's typically going to happen another way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a fact. But it's being flexible. There's scientific evidence behind that. Exactly. But it, it's being flexible, uh, saying, okay, God, and, and available and ready, being instant in season, out of season, as, as Paul would write to Timothy. Um, it's just being ready for those moments. And uh you know, when you when you feel like when you think and feel like okay, uh, you know, you're probably the the most carnal. It's when they're like really ready to be spiritual. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> it's like totally off of their, you know, they're they're wanting to be carnal when you're trying to be spiritual, and then you're not even thinking about being, you know, quote unquote spiritual in the moment, and they're ready to pray through, you know. So, um, bro, we had a we had a young lady when I youth pastored at Boonville, and I'll never forget it, man. We prayed and prayed and prayed with her during services and at church and all of this. I mean, just she she wanted the Holy Ghost, seeking the Holy Ghost. I can't tell you how many countless hours and times we prayed with her in service. Right. But but when she decides that she really is, you know, wants the Holy Ghost, she shows up at my house and it's like already 11 o'clock. And me and Lauren are like, I'm ready to crash. Like, there's nothing spiritual happening in my mind. Exactly. Like, I'm, I'm dead, man. And she shows up. She's like, I mean, and you can tell she's just broken and she's crying. And she's ready to pray. And she's wanting to have a prayer meeting in our living room. And if I'm being real, I just wanted to go to sleep. Exactly. <laughs> but that's how it happens, man. <laughs> Yep, it's it's that's the way it happens, bro. Man, that's the way it happens. That's good stuff. Um, so uh, as we're wrapping this up, uh, just a couple of a couple of last questions for you. Um, so what would what would you tell your now? What would your nowadays self uh, tell your younger you? What, what would you? What kind of insight, direction, wisdom, uh, experience would you tell your younger self now? You know, if I had to, if I had to give advice to my younger self, 
I would probably have to say uh, two things that that I, I'll be honest with you, I still am not the best at them. Um, but two things is to learn how to rest and to learn how to unplug. Yeah, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that if it's on my mind, it, it's it's there. I'm I'm consumed with it. I've got to do it. Um, I, I read a book, and I'll throw a plug out here. It's a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Um, it is a tremendous book that helped me kind of bring into perspective. Uh, because truth is, we, we get so busy and so fast-paced that burnout becomes inevitable. Yeah. And, you know, and, and we don't know what to do because we're just doing what needs to be done. We're just doing what has to be. Right. We're not out here looking and, and, and trying to find more things to do. Like, I don't know of anybody who's actively just, man, I need to find 18 more things to do today. You know, right. I don't know of anybody in that position. We're all running 100 miles an hour, but we're all running toward burnout because somewhere we have neglected the scriptural truth that rest is just as biblical as anything else. That's right. That's right. And so that would be one thing that if I could tell my younger self is learn how to rest both physically and, and, and spiritually, because it's just as spiritual to rest as it is to war. But sometimes we forget that and every day becomes a warring day. And if every day is a warring day and there's no resting day, then what's going to happen is it's just going to be a weary day. Mm-hmm. And never a winning day. Wow. Man, that's so good. That's awesome. Well, that kind of segues into our next question. And um, my next question for you is, how have you learned or how are you learning uh, to ba- ba- uh, balance uh, family, uh, your duties as youth president, work and traveling uh, with your tra- and, and traveling as a minister now? How, how do you how are you navigating those things? What does that look like for you? Uh, right now? You know, learning is the key word. Uh, in fact, Lauren and I had this discussion today uh, because I am, I am learning. We're in a different season. Right. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not preaching a Wednesday night youth service every week, uh, but that doesn't mean the schedule is any less. Uh, but, you know, here's, here's, and this is, this is what I'm learning. Okay. I am by no means the master, uh, and I count myself as Paul to have apprehended nothing. Right. Uh, but I am striving to learn how to live more in the moment. Right. Right. Because it's easy to it's easy to get in my own mind of I've got this for work, and I've got this that needs to be done for the district, and I've got this that needs to be done by Sunday because I'm preaching here, or I'm doing this there, and so all of these things. And if I'm not careful the thing that gets put into the back priority becomes Nerf guns with my little boy. Right. And I'll just be honest with you. Those are moments that I'm not going to get back. Yes, sir. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to write another sermon. I'm going to help do another project. All of those things are going to come back around, but I'm learning. I got to live in the moment. Because not every day is my three-nager going to want to play Nerf guns with dad. Right. And, and so just trying to, trying to work when it's work time, trying to slot out time when it's time to do, you know, district work, but also not neglecting to slot family time and make that as much a priority as anything else. Yes, sir. And, and, and keeping everything in its, in its respective bubble. Now, I don't do that. There are days that it bleeds over and it runs out and and I get it all wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the only thing I can do is is wake up the next day and say, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to be more mindful of that today. I, you know, yesterday uh, I, I came home and, and there were some things that I needed to do work wise. Uh, and I said, you know what, it's going to wait because this is not work. This is not the work bubble. This right. is the family bubble. Yeah. And I, I got a little guy who wants to go ride his battery operated gator through every mud hole he can possibly find and make me and my dress shoes and khakis dick him out. Right. (laughs) You know? Yeah. I don't know of anyone who's just mastered it perfectly. 
Um, and if we if we would truly be honest, I think there's a lot of people that that uh, are perceived to have and who can kind of dictate a que- a question as if they have. But at the end of the day, I think we're all just learning how to balance. Yeah, I'll tell you this, and I I read this in a book that I read. I wish I could recall it. I would make a shout out for the book. Um, but I read a book, and the guy was talking about that there is no such thing as balance. He said, I, he said, I live my life not by balance, but I try to live my life by fairness. He said, because there are days that the balance, the scale is going to be tipped very heavy toward ministry. Right. And it's going to require, there, there are going to be 12 hour days where I'm with families at hospitals and, and, and ministry is going to demand that of me and work is going to demand overtime. He said, and so to balance makes something almost unattainable. He said, but what I try to do is be fair. If I gave all of this day to that, then I'm going to give another day to this. If I gave all, if I gave 10 hours to ministry yesterday, then somewhere this week, I've got to find time to redeem that with my family. Right. Right. So that's powerful. You know, and and that kind of stuck with me because to perfectly balance it almost makes something unattainable because we're never going to perfectly balance because there's going to be days where family is more demanding and, you know, things are more demanding than others. And so it's just being mindful. Yeah. It's it's kind of the way I look at it. Well, it's, it's That's just my interpretation. Yeah. It's living to make up where you lacked yesterday, um, giving everything a proper uh, amount of time to where no one feels left out, whether, life's going to throw things at you that's going to cause things to go out of balance. So um, I like that that concept. That's great. Just being fair. Just when you when you spend more time here because of necessity, then you got it, you know that you've got to make that time up some with your family or with where, whatever demanded your time at this moment. You've got to make that up somewhere else and uh, in another area. So that's awesome. That's great. Well, man, um I am so glad you joined us uh, for on on the podcast, and um, it's been tremendous. But um, before uh, before we get off here uh, today, uh, I want you to leave us with uh, with an encouraging um, an encouraging word, uh, an encouraging uh, uh, moment uh, to the, to the listeners today. Um, encourage them, uh, if you will. Absolutely, I'll I'll, I'll share something that. I don't know. They may hear me preach it some other time. Uh, I, 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 it's been lodged in my spirit for weeks, but we get kind of this concept of, of rain in a sense of storms, right? Jesus and the disciples are on the boat and Noah and the flood. And, and we get this negative connotation that rain is always affiliated with a storm. Uh, but if we read the scripture, sometimes rain has nothing to do with storms or trials or tests. Uh, sometimes it's it's rain of refreshing. Deuteronomy talks about it uh, in a multitude of settings where it is rain in due season. Uh, so if I were to give listeners an, an encouraging word today, if it's raining, not all rain is a storm. Sometimes God's refreshing you through the rain. Uh, so don't don't dread the rain. Don't don't begrudge the rain. Embrace it uh, because sometimes it's it's rains of refreshing that are that are seeping over your soul and strengthening you and not every rain is a storm so if i can just leave with that that would be my word of encouragement not every rain's a storm especially if you've been praying and you've been preparing the ground for harvest rain's a good thing absolutely And, and the famous words of william mcdowell when you've got seed in the ground rain's a good thing (laughs) <laughs> yeah absolutely wow well man i thank you so much for um taking an hour out of your uh out of your day to uh, join us on the podcast and uh giving us some of your time and i know it's uh it's taking some time away from that little three nature of yours and your wife and uh in the busy <laughs> schedule that schedule that you already have but uh i'm so thankful you come on here and uh, I believe this is going to help some people, some young people and some youth workers. And I feel encouraged already just from being on the call with you for an hour. And, uh, man, I'm so thankful that you come on and uh, was with us today. Oh, man, I'm honored. Thank you again for the invitation. And uh, thank you for 
uh, for what you're doing with the podcast, bro. Um, I'm, man, it's, it's incredible. Uh, but man, thank you so much for having me. Yes, sir. Well, folks, uh, I just want to say thank you for listening. Uh, Continue to listen. We've got some more guests coming on the podcast, but we're so glad that Brother Miller joined us today. And we pray that this episode was encouraging to you, and we pray that uh, you were ministered to by it. And so until the next one, God bless you.